is about getting real, which is fast becoming a lost art. Whether you're trying to put a best foot forward in business or you're trying to impress someone at work or you're trying to impress someone that you're going on a date with, we are getting so good at not getting real. Right, we're getting so good at wearing masks. And uh, there's a number of reasons that we wear masks. And this whole series is going to be helping us take the mask off and just get real, which is really weird for a church. Uh, and we're going to talk more about that just now. But we love wearing masks because masks become a buffer between me and you. And I get to control the mask. All right, I get to choose what mask I'm going to wear, how I'm going to wear it, what you see. And because of that control and because I, I, I'm just, I don't always know how to engage with you and to engage with God. I don't always know how to get real. We get so comfortable with these masks. Now, the masks we wear may not be actual masks, but I believe they help us do a number of things. The first thing is they help us pretend they help us pretend. Now, if I had to re- wear a real mask, I could pretend to be Superman or Spider-Man. I could pretend to be Captain America. But with the more metaphorical masks, I can pretend to be something I'm not. Some of us pretend to be single when we're not. But some of us pretend to be happy when we're not. Some of us pretend we've got it all together. We've got everything over in control when we know we don't. But we pretend, so we wear the mask. And I think the reason why we pretend comes from the next two reasons why we wear masks. Number one is we protect ourselves. Maybe for some of us, the last time we got real, the last time we opened ourselves up, whether it was to God or a romantic interest or to a friend, Maybe you got hurt so deeply that you're saying, that will never happen again in my watch. So I want to protect myself. Maybe there's something in your life, a secret sin or something that you're ashamed of. And you don't want people to see that. And so you wear a mask and you pretend. Maybe we wear a mask because, uh, again, there's something in you that you don't like. Maybe you don't like your personality. Maybe there's something about your past or something about who you are that you don't like and you are absolutely convinced that if people saw that about you, that they would reject you. And so we protect. For the longest time, I believed that about myself. I believe that if people got to know the real me, not the me that I'm in control of, the real me, I was 100% convinced that I would be rejected by whoever came into contact. There's nothing here to see. Let's just move on. I was convinced about that. So I protected myself by wearing a mask. So we pretend because we want to protect ourselves. And then the third one is that we project. So we project something, usually what we believe others want to see. Or what we believe God wants to see. So we project ourselves, protecting ourselves and pretending to be someone that we're not. Now social media has made this a million times worse. Because I I get to sit behind a computer screen with all of my insecurities and pretend that I've got it all together. 
and pretend that I've got this wonderful family, which, which I, I do. <laughs> but, you know, pretend that I've got it all together and pretend that everything's going wonderful in my life and I get to engage in debates and I get to pretend that, again, that I, I, I'm confident or I get to project that uh, everything's awesome with me when, in fact, I'm insecure and, in fact, I, I don't really love much about myself. And we put up this mask on social media. One of the problems with these masks is we get so used to them, we forget we have them on. We start to find our identities not in getting real and in the mask. We get so used to, and here's the, one of the biggest dangers of wearing a mask, is that you engage with my mask and you never get to engage with me. And we bring that, we've just done a series on prayer, we bring that into a prayer life. Where we project, we, we're protecting, we're pretending that we've got it all together and that we try to be who we think God wants us to be and we somehow engage with God through this mask without ever getting real. And the goal of the series is to get real and it may be a little bit painful for you, uh, but I encourage you to step into this space because I believe if we learn to take the masks off, that's when we actually begin engaging with people. That's when we can actually learn what unconditional love is about because you get to love me in spite of the fact that I don't have it all together. And I'm convinced, and it's what happened in my life, that for the first time for some of us, we can actually begin to engage with God in a very real way with the mask off. And we can experience His unconditional love. Unfortunately, one of the places we love wearing masks the most is here. Right there, we've got it all together mask. Fighting with kids on the way to church, but we rock up here with the smiling faces, right? Get back into the car, and start it all up again. Jesus loves you, you know. And I'm not just talking about Sunday. Sunday is very hard. We've got limited time to really get to know people, but I'm also talking about small groups, life groups. I'm talking about ministry teams. I'm talking about the friendship circles that we have here. We get so good at pretending and protecting and projecting that we are not known. And in this space where really we ought to be the most real, we are not experiencing the God who wants to know us for who we actually are and not who we're pretending to be. The goal of the series, someone actually texted me this quote by C.S. Lewis during the prayer series, and I was looking for any way that I could use it, but I think it is so apt for this series. The goal of the series is this by C.S. Lewis. May it be the real I who speaks, and may it be the real thou that I speak to. And we can only do that when the mask comes off. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a number of characters in the Bible who had to get this get real moment where whatever they were pretending or whatever they were projecting, whatever they were protecting, that had to come off and they engaged with God in a very real way. And hopefully over the course of the next five weeks or so, uh, these uh, characters are going to speak to us and God is going to encourage us to take the mask off and to get real. Now, we're going to start off by speaking about the mask of religion. 
the mask of religion. Stephen, what do you mean by that? I thought religion's a good thing. I thought that's why we're here. Well, uh, just to unpack what I mean by that, you just need to stay with me. We're going to be looking at a story that maybe of you, uh, maybe some of you know so well that you might even be tempted to switch off, but don't. Uh, stay with me, and we're probably going to see it from an angle you don't normally see it. It's a story found in Luke chapter 15. So if you do have your Bibles with me, uh, turn there, Luke chapter 15. Uh, I'm going to speak through the first part of the story and then read through the second half of the story. It's a story what we know, know as the prodigal son. And just to bring us all onto the same page, this is how the story starts. There's a father and he's a farmer. He's a wealthy farmer. He's got lots of land and lots of assets. And he's got two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son comes up to him one day and says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance now, which is another way of saying you're dead to me. He's basically saying, dad, I can't wait for you to die. So I want your stuff. I don't want you. I don't want a relationship with you. I'm tired of this place. I'm tired of home. And I want to get out into the real world where I'm convinced I'm going to experience greater freedom. So his father, with a heavy heart, uh, takes one third because there was a, the older son in those times would have received two thirds of the inheritance. The younger son receives one third. In order for the father to do that, he would have had to sell off some of his land. He would have had to sell off some of his assets in order to liquidate that to give his son the money. So his son goes off. He goes out into the big wide world and he's so plucky, so confident. This is how he's going to experience life and freedom. And while he's out there, man, he's just spending and he's going mad. And what happens? Hey, man, the girls are there and the guys are there. I just picture one of those Vegas scenes. Not that I've ever been there, but you've seen them in the movies. You know, the guys who are just throwing money away. Next minute, all these blonde babes arrive and all the oaks are like, oh, we want to be this guy's friend because he's got so much money. That's what happened to him. And then he got to the point where the money ran out. And of course, the ladies left and his friends left and he was all alone. And in fact, he realized, well, I need to earn some money. So he went and started working on a pig farm. Now, just remember, this is a Jewish story. So for someone to get to the point where they are feeding pigs, in fact, he got so low and desperate, he was looking at the food that the pigs were eating. And you're saying, man, these guys are eating better than I'm eating. The scriptures say at that point, which again in a Jewish person's mind would have been the lowest of lows. At that point, the scriptures say he came to his senses. So he says, okay, I've I've really blown it. And I need to go home and I'm going to tell my dad uh, that I've blown it, that I've really thrown away his money. I've thrown away his reputation. And in fact, I don't deserve anything. But I do believe home was better than I thought it was. And even if I become a slave on his farm, that's better than what I'm doing right now. So he prepares a speech and he starts walking home. I'm sure he's just playing the scene out over and over again in his mind. He gets to the point where he's around the corner from his home and his father sees him and he's just preparing in his mind to tell himself, Dad, all I deserve is to be a slave. His dad sees him. You see, what he didn't know, his dad had been scanning the horizon for him every single day. And his dad saw him coming over the horizon and ran to him, kind of abandoned his Jewish dignity, just took up his cloak and put it between his legs and around him. And he ran to his son and his son was prepared to say, dad, I just deserve to be a slave. And his dad says, no, 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 you're my son. You're my son. He takes a ring. He puts it on his finger, takes a cloak of righteousness, puts it on his shoulders and he throws a big fat party. Now, that's the part of the story, even if you're not particularly religious or Christian, you've probably heard in a number of ways before. 
But there's another brother. There's another brother, and that's the brother that we're going to look at this morning, and we're going to read his side of the story. So Luke 25, sorry, Luke 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son, this is the other brother. The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what is going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. We would imagine the older brother to be so happy about that. But no, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a single young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice not my brother, when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, Jesus wasn't just telling a story. He didn't just decide to, you know, come up with some wonderful teaching for the people who are around. Jesus had a particular people in mind as he told the story. So who was Jesus aiming for as he told the story? Well, at the beginning of Luke 15, in the two verses, we kind of get the scene set for us. Uh, these two verses say this, now the tax collectors and sinners. These are all the outcasts that the hyper-religious people discarded. And now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. As Andy Stanley says, people who were not like Jesus liked Jesus. They loved being around him. It's just the scene plays itself so often. These people always around him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the, uh, the hyper-religious types of the, of the time. They muttered and they said, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And Jesus, of course, knows what they're thinking. And so he tells this story, the third, in fact, of three stories. And he's actually trying to get them to understand that though they have this religious mask, this religious facade, they are so far from the Father's heart. Which is so weird to think about. The fact that the younger brother, I mean, obviously he's far from God. I mean, he just went and squandered his father's name and he just got up to so much mischief. Well, obviously he's far from God. And Jesus is trying to say to these guys, don't you get it? Man, you, you think you got it all together, but you don't. So he tells the story. So what we're going to do for a few moments is we're going to look at the story and we're going to look at a couple of indicators that might help you and me understand whether or not we are wearing a religious mask and we're not being real and we're not engaging in God. So number one, one of the first things that we see is he is defined, he's defined by his working. We find him, he's working in the field and later on he talks about the fact that I've done all these things for you. I've done all these things for you. Now, Jesus is not against us working hard in the kingdom. If anything, I'm convinced that those who understand the gospel the deepest will sacrifice the greatest. 
However, what this brother is experiencing is not working from a place of identity, not working from a place of ownership. I'm co-working with my dad and I'm joyfully working with him because man, everything that's his is mine and, and I'm enjoying his favor. No, no, he is defined by working. In fact, he's working so much, he doesn't even know his dad. I've seen this in those who are in full-time ministry. I've got to watch about this myself. I've seen, even those who are not in so-called full-time ministry, that man, we can be so busy for God that we define ourselves by, look what I'm doing for you. And yet that can be the very thing that can keep us from the heart of God. It's weird. It's paradoxical. But something that we've seen so often. The second indicator is a lack of genuine joy. A lack of genuine joy in verse 25 and 26. We see the older brother comes in and, and there's this party going on. And what's his first response? His first response is not cool. You know, what's the good news? And, and let's tuck in. No, no, no. His first response is, oh, well, what's this party? I'm doing the real kingdom work. I'm doing the real serious stuff. See, religious people are freaked out by joy and parties. What are all these Christians so excited about? This is serious stuff. Oh, why, why, why are we playing these, these songs that are getting us so excited? No, 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 this is serious stuff. There's no genuine joy. One of the ways that we are supposed to be described in the Scriptures, those who follow Jesus, is that we have genuine joy. In fact, the kingdom is often described in terms of a feast, in terms of a party. And yet for some reason, those who have a mask of religion do not enjoy joy. They may find joy in other things, in hobbies and all sorts of other things, but they don't find joy in here. And they don't find joy in their father's presence. There's no genuine joy. Number three, religious people with a religious mask tend to get angry about grace. Look at verse 28. The older brother became angry. Verse 30, the son of yours who has squandered your property. Jesus tells another story, aiming for the same people. He tells a story about another farmer, another wealthy guy who needed some workers in his vineyard. So he goes into the market and he finds his people, much like we sometimes see on our street corners, they're looking for a day's work. So he finds them first thing in the morning and he, he arranges their daily wage. And he says, are you guys happy with this? Yes, we are. Okay, cool. Come and work. In the middle of the day, he says, well, I need some more workers. So he goes out and he finds some more workers. Halfway through the afternoon, he does the same things, picks up a couple more guys. And at the end, there's one hour left of work. He goes and he finds a few more people. So the day comes where the day's wrapped up and he's about to pay these people. And he starts off, so interesting, he starts off by paying those you hired last. So these guys had worked about an hour and he pays them a full day's wage. That's grace. That's them getting what they didn't deserve. The guys who had been working the whole day, they start thinking, whoa, you know, if they've worked an hour, you know, some of us have worked a half day and some of us have worked a whole day. We can't wait to see what we're going to get paid. So he comes around to them and guess what he pays them? A day's wage. And they get so upset. And so the, father, the, the farmer says to them, but is this not what we arranged? One day's wages for this. And he says they got angry. See, sometimes we get angry 
If our, and again, just see how this kind of dovetails into one another. If, if my identity is in my work, that means I deserve things from you. And these other people, they don't deserve things from you. And when people receive grace, we are, unfortunately, I have actually heard this. Oh, what's happening to our church? You know, what happens to the nice church we have? What hap- you know, who's all these people, you know, people that I don't like, people that are weird, people that are different to me, joining our nice church? Religious people tend to get angry at grace. They don't understand it and how much they too are in need of it. In fact, one of the things that Jesus says, probably one of the most offensive things Jesus said to some of these religious people, he said, guys, sinners and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God before you. That's grace. And we need to learn to enjoy that. Number four, one of the indicating factors of those of us who might be wearing religious masks is that we're stubborn. Now, I am stubborn, and most of us in this room could probably be defined as stubborn. Doesn't mean you're necessarily religious, but notice how this plays itself out in this guy. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He actually, the, the party was right there. The joy was right there, and he actually decided to harden his heart and not go in. His father comes out and pleads with him. But boy, don't you know this is something we should celebrate? And he basically stood his ground and said, there's nothing you can do to make me go in and enjoy what everyone else is enjoying. Stubbornly refusing to experience joy. Suddenly refusing to lay down some of these presuppositions about his brother. Stubbornly refusing to experience his father and experience his father's goodness. Number five. Those who wear religious masks, we've spoken about their identity and work and their lack of joy. They see Christianity as an obligation. Verse 29, to see what he says there. I've been slaving for you. Some of us see being here on a Sunday as slaving for Jesus. Some of us see our Christian service as slaving. Look what I've been doing for you, God. Let me just lay out in about 30 seconds what I believe the ideal attitude about Christian service should be. It's about me getting who God is, how He is a God of love, how He extended Himself. He came into my world. He didn't wait for me to try and you know, climb up the ladder. He climbed down the ladder and then climbed onto a cross for me. He took my failings and my shortcomings and my sin and He took them upon Himself. Instead of making me pay the bill, He paid the bill. And then he gave him, he gave me his son's merits. I mean, that should be blowing my mind, right? So when I start thinking about working for God and and doing things for him, it is gratitude, it is love, it is thankfulness. It is, wow, I mean, I'm so loved by this father and his son has done such wonderful things for me. I I just want to love him in response. We also understand that He gives us Himself. He gives us His Holy Spirit and He works through us to bless others. So because I have this vertical love relationship with the Father, it bleeds out into the fact that now I want to show you how God's loved me. And man, Jesus washed my stinky feet, so I'm going to wash yours. And Jesus washed my stinky sin, so I'm going to learn how to serve you. 
And just as much as the king of kings got down onto a cross, man, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to serve because I love God and I love you. And in the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as a menial task. There's no such thing as something too small. For me, that's my little elevator speech as to what Christian serving should be about. But someone wearing a religious mask, that's not for me. I'm not going to serve people. I'm not going to humble myself. And you know, we served for six months and look at the slaving that I've done for you, God. And then finally, one of the characteristics of someone who is religious is there's proximity, but no intimacy. Proximity, but no intimacy. I mean, it's just amazing. The younger brother, I mean, basically his mindset was, I'm so sick, I'm so, I'm so sick of the father's rules, I'm so sick of the church's rules, I'm so sick of you know, these confines, I'm just gonna throw off these shackles, I'm gonna get out into the real world and there I'm gonna experience freedom. I mean, that's easy to see. The older brother, he was there all the time. He was there and yet he didn't experience intimacy with his father. Some of the hardest religious hearts are at church every Sunday. Some of the hardest religious hearts are working all the time. There's proximity, but no intimacy, no relationship. Now, one of the biggest dangers of this particular mask, again, the younger brother, if someone goes out and and takes their father's reputation and takes the name through the dirt and gets involved with prostitutes and drugs and whatever else, I mean, his sins or her sins may be very obvious. The danger with the religious mask is that it looks good because you're at church every Sunday. And you arrive early and you leave late and you're working and you're doing all the right things and you're moral and you're upright. The strange thing about this mask is as much as the younger brother's sins kept him from his father, the older brother's uprightness kept him from his father. Weirdest thing in the world. So how do we get real? How do we take the mask off? And and we're going to be following this theme um, throughout the course of the next few weeks. The sad thing about this parable, if you think about how the parable ends, who's in the party? The younger brother. Who's outside the party? The older brother. And it's like the story ends on a cliffhanger. Remember, Jesus has all these so-called younger brothers sitting around him that the religious types are discarding. They're around him and they're loving what Jesus has to say. And Jesus is speaking to those guys in the back. And he leaves them with this cliffhanging question. Will you enter the party? One of the saddest things about the religious mask. So how are we going to get real? And I believe what the only way to get real is to just simply, we would call it, if we're going to use uh, kind of theological, biblical words, we could call it repentance and confession. But let's just talk about two things here. Let's get real. And we can say, number one, this is the mask. And number two, this is me. What do I mean by that? If you recognize yourself in this story, it's to say, this is the mask. I, I, I've been pretending to have it all together by working hard. I've been projecting this person who's cool, 
loves Jesus. Man, but, but if, if, if I get real, no, this is me. I feel like I'm slaving for him. If I get real, man, oh man, I, I haven't been enjoying him. I get freaked out by joy. I get freaked out by parties. I get freaked out by younger brothers. That's me, God. That's me getting real. Here's the mask I've been wearing. Maybe I've been right-hearted about this, but so wrong-headed in the fact that I've been, again, trying to sort of impose my views upon people. I've been hypercritical. I've been stubborn and refusing to go into the party. God, that's me. Here's the mask. And maybe if God's been extra good to you this morning, He's been showing you some of the things you've been protecting. And the real reason why I've been pretending and projecting with the mask because Lord, at the core of it, I don't believe I'm worthy. I don't believe I'm worthy to be known. I don't believe I'm worthy to be loved. I don't think there's much to me. Maybe, yes, Lord, there's something in my life. A secret sin or a secret shame. And man, oh man, I need to keep people away from that. I need to keep you away from that. And the mask is so much safer. The mask was so much easier. I only believe God can show us what's really going on in us. But I want us to encourage as you move towards the table this morning to ask God. And here's the thing. We believe that people and God love the mask. And let me tell you, Jesus didn't die for the mask. He died for you. Unconditional love is not you pretending and projecting this image. Unconditional love is there standing vulnerable, exposed, experiencing the, the fullness of your sin and your shame, standing before the Father and then experiencing love there at that moment. You see, when you believe that God only loves you when you're pretending, you will never experience His love. As we come to the table, we think about another brother that the scriptures tell us we have. We think about a brother who left his father's house to come and fetch us. We think about a brother who gave up all that was his to share his inheritance with us. We think about a brother who lived the life that I could not live and died the death that I could not die in order for us to enter the party on his merits. We think about the brother who served us and loved us and did it with joy. Scriptures say it was for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. We think about the brother who got real, who took on flesh, who literally exposed himself on the cross, who experienced in a very real and metaphorical sense, experienced the vulnerability of the sin of the world upon him, was most likely physically naked on the cross, exposed to the world. And he did that so that you and I could be accepted in our realness. We think about the younger brother, sorry, we think about the brother who invites younger brothers and all the brothers everywhere to come in and join the party. 
Guys, today's Father's Day. And the greatest gift our Father in heaven wants all of us to experience is His nature and His love. Again, as we've been talking about the series Abide, not just here, to get real with Him and experience how we are, in fact, loved and accepted unconditionally because of what our other brother did for us. Again, C.S. Lewis's quote, May it be the real I who speaks, and may it be the real thou that I speak to. So guys, I'm going to ask now that you spend a few moments. We're going to have some music playing gently. We're going to come to the table. And I'm going to invite all of you to a get real moment. To go back to your chair and in your own time, in your own way. Here's the mask, Lord. And here's me. And it might be painful, but it is worth it because of what God wants to do in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your son got real with us and that he invites us into the party of the kingdom. And we thank you, Jesus, that you have done what we could not do and yet you give those merits to us freely. Father, we thank you that what you want for us is not to shame us. What you want for us is not to have proximity but no intimacy. What you want for us, God, is everything this older brother didn't have. You want us to work because we love you and we love others. You want us to have genuine joy. You want us to be so excited about grace. You want us to yield to you and your, your work. You want us to give freely as we freely receive. You want us to know you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as we do come to before your table, that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can have a get real moment. Speak to us and the church in your own time. Take the bread and eat it and take the juice and drink it. And then we'll conclude. Thank you.